Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Mathematics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Corey Brunson, a host of the channel, and I'm talking today with Dr. Shelley Jones, author of Women Who Count, Honoring African-American Women Mathematicians, published by the American Mathematical Society in 2019. This is a book of many biographies and math activities for elementary and middle school children, which showcases 29 Black women mathematicians who trained and worked, and in many cases still work, in the United States. The mathematicians profiled range from the first African-Americans to earn PhDs in the U.S. to early career researchers and educators of the present day. I'm joined by the author and look forward to learning more about the book's origins and aspirations. Shelley, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to talk to you about women who count. Very looking forward to, to learning more. So to begin with, could you give a little bit of your own uh, mathematical background? Well, I actually received or earned a bachelor's in computer science from Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I went on to earn a master's degree in mathematics education, a secondary level at the University of Bridgeport in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So my home is in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So I came back home. And then I went off to Illinois State University. Well, this was after I had been a, a teacher, a middle school mathematics teacher for about seven years in Bridgeport at Luis Munez Marin School. And um, I loved teaching, but I ran into some um, mathematics uh, educators and they pitched the idea of coming to get a PhD at Illinois State. And so I left Connecticut and went to Illinois. And I earned a, a doctorate in uh, mathematics education, this time elementary school level, um, from Illinois State University, um, I think 2000 or 2002. I get the, my dates mixed up. But um, I really like that I sort of learned the whole gamut, you know, K-12. And where I landed in elementary math, I really, really enjoy that because what I help teacher educators to do and pre-service teachers to do is really to understand math so that they can teach it, not just so that they can do math, but so that they can teach it. So I'm hoping that teachers understand math from a conceptual level. And, and, and that's a lot different than just being able to do the mathematics yourself. That leads a little bit into my next question, I'm sure, which is about the origins of this book. Could you share a bit about its origin story, uh, how the idea came about, and maybe who, with, with whom you batted ideas around along the way? Well, I have to tell you, um, I was doing, well, okay, so first of all, I was working with a group called PIMS, the Project to Increase the Mastery of Mathematics and Science. And um, it was a project out of Wesleyan University for many years. It was around for over 25 years. And then we linked up with Green Street Academy and we did some work with them. So I was doing um, professional development with Sarah McSurley and she's a scientist. And she had done a, um, a book of illustrations about scientists in their, in their careers. So a day in the work of whoever. And so she actually pitched the idea to me. She says, have you heard about the book Hidden Figures? This was in 2016 or 17. And I had not. I'm, the book was just coming out. I had not heard of it. But of course, I looked it up. It looked interesting. I ordered the book. Then 
in January, the book, the, the movie came out. And I was just floored by the movie. I had, I had received the book, had not opened it yet because I'm, you know, teaching and doing what I do. And I was floored. And I said, I have to do what Sarah asked me to do. And that was, I needed to write a book. And she, she thought maybe I would do the same thing, you know, a book of illustrations. And I thought, okay, I'll do illustrations, but there'll be portraits. But I want to do bios of the women. And then I want to have some math activities. I cannot have a children's book without having the activities. So I was inspired by the book in the movie, Hidden Figures. And I wanted to write an activity book to expose children to the hidden figures of NASA, as well as other Black women who were mathematicians of the past. And then later on, I thought of today as well. I was pitching the book to a publisher, and the publisher said, I noticed that you only have the pioneers. She says, I have a daughter, and I would love for her to see people of today. And I said, great idea. So I added uh, mathematicians of today, and that was actually a little easier because I could just email them and say, hey, would you like to be in this book? If so, send me your bio. I didn't have to do a lot of searching except to find the women for the book. And so I found lots of mathematicians of today. And what I loved about it was that they, although they all had either doctorates in math or, or bachelors in math, uh, they all had different types of careers. You know, and I, I don't think that many people know about the types of careers you can have with a mathematics background. In fact, the hidden figures at least the um, the women portrayed in the movie, they did not have doctorates in math. They had bachelors and they had, some of them had master's degrees in mathematics, but they were interested in physics. One of them had a physics degree. And so all of this was needed to do the work of NASA. And it wasn't necessary that you had a doctorate unless you wanted to become an engineer, and, you know, you wanted to have a larger role, which uh, Mary Jackson did end up wanting to do. Um, one more thing about this is, um, you know, as I was thinking about writing the book and as I began to look up the names in the book, um, the women from the book, I met Dr. Talitha Washington and she had done a talk at the National um, Math Fest, I think, it, I think it's called, in Washington, D.C., um, and I, I started talking to her about some of the women in the book and she says, have you seen my, the recording of my talk? And I said, no. And she says, you need to see it. And in fact, when I saw the recording of her talk, she was saying exactly what I wanted to hear. And so I was inspired by that. And then one more thing, <laughs> uh, Dr. Rudy Horn, the late Dr. Rudy Horn was the mathematician, um, he was from Morehouse College, and he was the one that wrote the math for the production company so that they got the math right. So in the movie Hidden Figures? In the movie Hidden Figures. So he, he actually wrote the mathematics on the board that you see Katherine Johnson writing. It was actually Rudy Horn that said, this is what you need to write. And um, he passed away a couple of years ago. But when I um, heard his talk, you know, I was just so inspired by both of them. Uh, Dr. Washington, Talitha Washington, also a Spelman graduate, and Dr. Rudy Horn, who was a professor at uh, Morehouse College. So that's sort of the origin of the book. Very well said. Thank you. We, I mentioned at the outset that the book is intended for elementary and middle school children, but I think you describe in your introduction a bit of a broader audience that you intended for, including educators and parents, as well as children. And I wonder if you could expand a bit on that. Well, the, the first thing I'll say is the reason I wrote the book is because representation matters, right? There's a tweet that says it, says it best. If you see it, you can be it. A much needed math activity book celebrates the contributions of African-American uh, women mathematicians. And I really just, I stay with that. Representation matters because there's so many students that don't think that they're good at math. You know, I've been around math education for a very long time. 
And very early on, students begin to believe that they're not good at math. So one of the things I want to do is change that narrative, right? And, and, and I think partly the book can do that. One, because teachers, uh, students can see themselves in the mathematicians possibly, right? Um, whether they're um, Black females or not. If they're not Black females, they can see that Black females can do math. Um, Evelyn Boyd Granville, that was one of the things that she said. I want people to know that we can do math too. And I mean, you know, this was back in 1950 though, but that still goes today. We want students to know that all people contribute to math, including Black women. The reason it is a great resource for teachers is because they can use the, um, the stories of, of the women. Because when students learn about these mathematicians, the students don't always want to know about what mathematics they did. When I work with uh, middle school students, um, especially uh, young girls, they will say, how did they persevere? Because, you know, when we think of math, we always think, oh, it's so difficult, right? How did they persevere? But you, you know what else they want to know? Did she have children? Was she married? So they want to know that, you know, Dr. Granville is a person. She's a person just like us. When Dr., um, excuse me, when Katherine Johnson talks about her relationship with math, she says, well, you know, she knew that she was good at math. She knew she loved math from the beginning. She said she counted everything. She counted the steps that she took. She counted the dishes in the sink. And everyone around her knew that she loved math. So in knowing that, when she did get that job at NASA, she did the best job that she could do every day. And she didn't look at it as anything special. She said, this is my job. And so I do it. And she checked those figures because they didn't have the kinds of calculators that we have today. So those are the things that they did back then. And we want students to know that they can do it now. I'll tell you something about the Katherine Johnson story. It's either her granddaughter or great granddaughter was just on the Today Show. And she received or she earned a perfect score in a recent standardized test. And when she talks about mathematics and her love for mathematics, it, it was almost like looking at her grandmother or great-grandmother, Katherine Johnson. It was almost like looking in a mirror. And I, I thought that that was so powerful because that's what we want for students. We want them to have these mirrors that they can see themselves reflected and not just in the math, but in the people. Now, all of the hidden figures were also community members. They uh, attended their churches. Uh, they worked in after-school programs. So they gave back to the community, every single one of them. And so these are the things that we want students and uh, teachers to know that you have to get to learn about students, not just their interests. They like basketball. They like music. But in their communities, what, what do they do? so that you can make connections to them in those types of ways. Actually, I'd like to jump ahead to a question I was going to ask about how you decided what to include in the individual biographies. You've mentioned here several elements that I noticed were recurring throughout. You focus on uh, where people grew up and what challenges they faced when they were uh, when they were children or when they were young adults. Um, you describe their their favorites, their interests, their hobbies. I remember uh, favorite color as a, appears a couple of times. Um, and you also talk about their involvements in communities and especially their engagement with the mathematical community in efforts to bring black women and other underrepresented groups into the field. And I'd like to ask if you could describe what your uh, what your driving interest was in, in deciding what to include. These are very short biographies and they're to be read by children. So what do you really need to be included there? Well, I mean, you said it best, they're to be read by children. Um, when I first started, first of all, I'll tell you that um, you know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm in mathematics education, right? So I belong to an organization called the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, NCTM. And there's other organizations, MAA, Mathematical um, 
Oh, I can't even remember what it is. M-A-A-N-A. Medical Association of America. Okay, thank you so much. Um, and, and as you can see, I'm not, a, you know, I am a member now. But in, in, in my professional world, I mostly stuck with NCTM. And, you know, there's mathematicians, there's math educators. Every, every Everyone can call themselves a mathematician. But my point is this, is that many of these women I didn't already know. So when I began to uh, research the mathematicians, I started with a website, Mathematicians of the African Diaspora. And, you know, I just chose women from, from, from that um, website. And then once I learned about T Dr. Washington, because I didn't know Dr. Talitha Washington, so I learned about Dr. Washington and I contacted her. So she was one of the first contemporary mathematicians I contacted. Then I was put into put in touch with another website, um, let's see, Mathematically Gifted in Black. It's a, it's a more recent website, and in February, they highlight different mathematicians each day of, 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 of the um, month uh, for Black History Month. Anyway, that was how I learned about the mathematicians. I began to write up their stories, and I think I was too focused on the mathematics and, and their professional careers and things. And when I had other people read, they said, well, you know, who's this book for? Is If this book is for children, they, they you, you need to dial it back a little, right? And so children need to read about people and know that that role model is touchable. You know, I, I can touch that role model. It's someone who I might know. It might be Mrs. Johnson at church. So these are people who are in your community. And really, that's what students need to know. They need to know that these women were community people. They, they were somebody's mom, you know. Um, and so I started there. And then as far as the math activities, I have to tell you, I try to connect the math activities to the mathematics um, that the women studied. But what I found was sometimes because I wanted it to be more elementary school, grade three, I, I really couldn't find a good connection. So I began to say, listen, I've been doing this work for a long time, and I think I know activities that students would like. So as much as I could, I would choose an activity that sort of related to the work that that particular mathematician did. Or in the case of Dr. Uh, Yolanda Parker, she just loves Pi Day. So, and she talks about that on her like Twitter or Facebook, again, the contemporary mathematicians, right? And so I just picked a high day activity for her activity. So I tried to pick activities I thought would be fun and they didn't have to be activities that were done in school or that followed a common core curriculum standard. I just wanted activities like tessellations and palindromes, sort of think of activities that are more like puzzles, because I think sometimes students like puzzles, and if they can be challenged by it, but then they do get it, you know, they're amused, but also they, they, they tend to learn how to persevere, because it's something fun, it's something interesting, and it's mathematics. I got the impression, or Maybe I should say it when when browsing the puzzles at the end of the book. I didn't work them because I want to give this book to my uh, nephew once uh, after we finish our interview. They seem to cover a wide range, just as the book does, of grades. So there are coloring ex uh, uh, puzzles or uh, activities um, that are appropriate for earlier grades. But then, like you said, there are tessellations. There are code-breaking activities, there are um, Sudoku and Magic Squares, and I wonder if this has, if that was a conscious choice to, to choose that range of activities so that a, a, a single child might go through the book over the course of multiple years or grades, or if it was intended for families that maybe have multiple children, or if that was just what was available and what made sense for the different biographies. Well, no, I, okay, so the book is geared to children in grades three to eight. However, I think it's appropriate for all ages. When my parents got the book 
and I have friends, uh, adult friends who got the book and they just sat down and they wanted to sort of play with it. One of the things I say in the book is whether at home, at school, or right in the grandma's house, children can enjoy uncovering mathematicians' names through word searches. I mean, it's just a word search, but you get to learn mathematicians' names. If I ask teachers or when a middle school teacher asks students to name mathematicians, they very rarely, if ever, are able to come up with a name that is um, from an underrepresented group. I mean, they can now a little better. They come up with Benjamin Banneker. They come up with Katherine Johnson. So we're, we're improving there. But sometimes they just need to learn the names of the mathematicians. So those were some of the reasons. So mathematicians' names in the word searches. Then I have math vocabulary. Right. I have a few activities where they're unscrambling words with for math vocabulary. Math vocabulary is always important. And then solving e equations. So solving equations, you could be sixth, seventh, eighth grade where they have to decode a message. Um, answering math history questions. Um, and so I just try to have different activities that I thought would be interesting that would be fun, but they would learn something either about the mathematicians, about math vocabulary words, about math concepts that they could then ask someone else. They can either ask an adult or a, another peer or their teacher. Because if you go into class and you ask about a tessellation, your teacher's gonna be excited and you might start talking about tessellations. Whether or not that's in the um, Common Core Standards or not, this is a thing. Tessellations might not be stated in the Common Core, but transformations are stated. So what you do is you talk about trans transformations, uh, slides, flips, and turns, or translations, reflections, right, rotations, and then you can say, "Oh, we can make, we can create a tessellation." by using transformations. And so you can actually get at the, the uh, math standards through something that might be a little more fun that students can kind of look up and be creative. If we can get students to be creative, if we can connect it to their art, their artistry, then that's more of a reason to motivate students. So I'm always looking to motivate students. I think the book must have been quite successful so far at that. And I will be really interested um, at my nephew's uh, activity goings. Let me ask one question about um, the profiles that you provide. They are illustrated um, by some, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Um, Veronica. <laughs> let me let me just ask you if you would um, say a word about um, the illustrator that uh, provided the profile uh, images for most of the mathematicians featured in this book. Okay, the illustrator of the book is Veronica Martins, and she was born in Brazil. And Veronica uh, received her early foundation in art from her father, she says, and she decided and dedicated many years of her life closely observing how he manipulated the pencil on paper and illustrated a world out of which she would eventually emerge. So that is part of what she says about herself. What I know about Veronica is I met her literally walking down the street in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and she had a sketch of Barack Obama, and it was good. And I said, can I see that? Did you do that? And at the time, I wasn't ready to write the book, but I asked her for her card, and I said, I would love to work with you. And however long it was, six months or a year later, I contacted her, and we met, and we just began to talk about these illustrations. And she was really honored because, really because of the women in the book. And she, she learned a lot herself. And so um, she considers herself a plastic artist and a portress, a designer, painter, and teacher. She's a mother and grandmother. Again, she lives in Bridgeport. 
And she does art classes in Bridgeport, and she's always posting on uh, Facebook about the art classes. And she gives, um, dedicates her work to low-income students who might not be able to afford to, to have art lessons. And so that's very near to her heart. And she's supported by the Emmanuel Bridgeport Church, which provides her space free of charge for her art classes. So she's doing a great work in Bridgeport. Again, she's from Brazil. And it, it was just good to meet her. And we've kept in touch. Um, she was very honored to be the illustrator for the book. It turned out as a great collaboration. Thank you. <laughs> so one thing we haven't touched on is the way is the organizational scheme uh, for the book. You break your profiles into four chapters, sections? Yes, four sections. Um, I, I call them the first. And the first are the first three um, African-American women to earn doctorates uh, in mathematics. And they are uh, Euphemia Lofton Haynes, Evelyn Boyd Granville, and um, let me see, who's the third one? Marjorie Lee Brown. And so they are the first. And then the pioneers. I have to tell you, uh, this book could have had so many more mathematicians. I began to learn more and more about the mathematicians. But at the time when I was writing the book, and the publisher is the American Mathematical Society, <laughs> you know, the publisher is saying, are you done yet? And you want to keep adding. And so at some point I had to stop. Anyway, we have the first and then we have the pioneers. Now, the pioneers are women who are pioneers and, and they sort of paved a way for others, right? Um, one of the pioneers is Etta Faulkner, Dr. Etta Faulkner, the late Dr. Etta Faulkner. And she um, was a professor at Spelman College for many years. And she opened the door for many uh, Black uh, women in STEM. That, that was actually her passion. Um, she began uh, the computer science program there. She was just a force to be reckoned with. And her granddaughter, Dr. Shelby Wilson, is also in the book. So that was a pair that I just loved. In fact, I actually got uh, Dr. Wilson, uh, Shelby's permission to use her grandmother's story in the book. And in a particular photo, actually, the cover photo is of Dr. Falconer teaching a class at Fisk. So I loved it. And then then we have the hidden figures, and I call them the unhidden figures. But I include Dr. Christine Darden. In the movie, they had um, Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, and Dorothy Vaughn. So the, the, the three women chronicled in the movie were sort of earlier on in NASA's history, whereas uh, Dr. Christine Darden was later on in the 70s. And Dr. Christine Darden focused on sonic boom minimization. And she actually, although is retired, she's actually working these days. She goes out doing talks about the hidden figures and about the work that she did with sonic boom. Anyway, the unhidden figures, and then our modern-day mathematicians, who I call um, the contemporary first. And I call them the contemporary first because even in 2022, we are still having first. And so I always tell students, you can be the first at something. What do you want to be the first at? That's really interesting. So I was struck in those later chapters by the recency of of so many of these firsts, uh, including degrees and faculty appointments. And it's interesting to hear you present that not as a, as a unqualified negative, but as an opportunity to break through for present day young mathematicians. And I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, it's so funny because I don't think I would have ever thought of it, but I actually became a first. So I'm the first um, black woman or possibly the first black person in the math department at Central Connecticut State University to earn full professorship. So, yeah, and this and this was just a few years ago. So I, I think I'm a first. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Dr. Talitha 
Talitha Washington. I've mentioned her several times, but she just struck me because she's so dynamic and she's really interested in open the doors for um, more representation of uh, uh, people of color in particular. But um, she was the first African-American to earn a doctorate at the University of Connecticut. And the year was either 2000 or 2001. So that's pretty recent. And there's a couple of other firsts in the book um, that I talk about in, in, in terms of the contemporary mathematicians. So we're, we are continuing to make firsts, but we look at it as we may have been the first in our department, but we won't be the last. We're going to open doors up so that others can see, well, I can do that too. Because um, there, there's a um, YouTube channel called Meet a Mathematician. And Dr. Candace Price is one of the mathematicians featured in my book, Women Who Count. And she's also um, a professor at Smith College here in the Northeast. But in her talk about um, herself being a mathematician, she said, and this is true for many of the mathematicians, she said, well, she didn't know that you could be a mathematician. She didn't know that that was a thing. And she wasn't even sure she was that good at math until a teacher told her she was. And after that, you, you get motivated. Um, you're inspired because you're like, wow, I'm good at this. What one thing for sure is she said she had never seen anyone that looked like her in math in mathematics. And she said that she did not want that to be true for the next, next young, young lady that c comes up. So yeah, representation matters. And I just can't say that enough. I mean, so I don't think that, I think we've always thought that, but I think more than ever I'm seeing it because of the book, but just, just working with teachers, working with students and doing this work I do with culturally relevant um, mathematics pedagogy, uh, the more and more we bring students into the mathematics the more motivated they become and they begin to see themselves as mathematicians where they may not have seen themselves as mathematicians before. You mentioned, you mentioned earlier as well as just now the importance of representation in addition to representation of underrepresented groups, in this case, African-American women. The book also features a wide variety of appointments these are not necessarily, as you mentioned earlier, these are not necessarily people who earned mathematics degrees. And even those who did are not necessarily research mathematicians by name. They may be engineers, they may have other occupations. Um, and I think I wanted to ask if you would speak to the representation also of their contributions to I guess to mathematics as a discipline. So uh, many of them have uh, have research agendas. Uh, for example, you mentioned Candace Price, who focuses, who's one of whose foci is DNA topology, which was a little bit of interest to me. Um, Talitha Williams, you mentioned, who uh, looks at protein interactions among other things. But for example, Dr. Gloria Gilmer, who helped inaugurate the field of ethnomathematics, and Several of the mathematicians you feature were innovative in their approach to mathematics education. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you would speak a bit more to the diversity of contribution that these mathematicians have made. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to start first with some of the organizations that some of these women either founded or, you know, had active roles in. Um, so, for instance, Dr. Sylvia um, Trimble Bozeman, she was one of the co-founders of the EDGE, Enhancing Diversity in Graduate Education Program. And this is a program that uh, prepares uh, Black women or, 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 or women of color um, to go into Ph.D. programs. Uh, you don't just happen upon a Ph.D. program. And so you need um, sort of a family, a math family, 
and Edge becomes that math family. But in addition to having that support system, that village, in addition to that, they help these students to understand what it is you're about to do. What is research? And, and I know if you're in a master's program, you learn these things, but sometimes you need a little extra. And that's what um, programs like EDGE does. Um, you have someone like Genevieve Knight and, um, and others. Genevieve Knight along with six others. So there were seven founders of the Benjamin Banneker Association. Um, I said that I was a member of NCTM and Benjamin Banneker is an affiliate um, organization um, under the NCTM. And Dr. Knight, along with others, Dr. Strong, and I, I won't try to name them all, but they founded the Banneker because they felt like NCTM and at, and at that time NCSM, a math leader organization, they did not feel that they were adequately um, addressing the needs of Black students, um, and in particular Black students. So yes, I do talk about Black women. I do talk about Black students because many times they are left behind. We hear about this achievement gap with Black students. And so the Benjamin Banneker Association, we focus on leveling the playing field for Black students. We don't apologize for that because if we're going to hear about the gap, then we need to do something about that. We need to address that gap. And so that's what we try to do. Um, so you have these organizations. They, um, they also, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if Dr. Bozeman was a founder, but certainly Dr. Bozeman played a key role in NAM, the National Association of Mathematicians. And so these are all organizations that reach out to people of color, but you know, anyone could belong to these organizations. It just so happens that when they were founded, they were needed because uh, black um, mathematicians were, were not um, allowed actually in, in, in certain um, conferences because depending on what hotel the conference was uh, held in, sometimes they weren't allowed there. They weren't welcome there. So NAM was founded in 1969. So as you can imagine, there were places, especially in the South, that Black people were not welcome. And so these organizations were founded out of necessity, but we continue with them today because they continue to be a village. They continue to be that support system. Um, Dr. I'm trying to think of her name, Pamela Harris in the Meet the Mathematicians. She talks about how people have kept her in mathematics, not math. She said it has always been the people. She loves mathematics. She gets excited about it, but it's always been the people to keep her in mathematics and I, the community. And so I think that's important for us to know as we humanize mathematics, because a lot of times we, we, we worry about the mathematics and is it rigorous enough? And we have to try to remember that it's really about the people because the people bring about the mathematics. So I tried to talk a little bit about the work that these people have done in terms of, um, you know, either founding these organizations or being uh, a big role in the organizations. Uh, Dr. Gilmer, um, she was one of the founders of an, um, a special interest group for ethnomathematics, and I believe it was also part of NCTM. And basically, um, ethnomathematics was actually coined by Ubi D'Ambrosio from Brazil, and he looked at ethnomath as being the math of a people. So what's the mathematics that you use in everyday life? Or what's the mathematics that you use on your job? You know, if, if you're working in the fields and you're growing food, you're using mathematics. What mathematics is that? And so uh, Ubi coined that term. And then uh, we have these organizations that try to make sure that these things were not lost and they're not lost because we're still talking about them today. And we still have these organizations that are focused on things like ethnomathematics. So you have ethnomathematicians and they might talk about the mathematics of hair braiding, which is Dr. Gilmore wrote a, a paper on that. Who knew you could write a paper on hair braiding. 
and either the corn rolls, which made tessellations, or we call them box braids. And you can look at that as generalizing a pattern. If you start with, you know, 10 across the top of, of the crown of the head, and then you the next row is nine, and then the next row is eight, well, we need to, you know, add 10 plus nine plus eight. Oh, well, we're just adding consecutive numbers up to 10. If we go from one to 10, well, how do we do that? You know, we might use Gauss's method or we might use some other method. And so who knew that there was mathematics in hair braiding, mathematics in nature, mathematics in the homes that people build. And so those are the kinds of things that Dr. Gilmer uh, wanted to expose so that all people, even someone who works in a beauty salon, understands that you are using mathematics. Whether you think of it that way or not, there's a mathematics involved and what you're doing on that person's hair. <laughs> so without trying to drag it down from that very light note, um, this might be a good time to ask a kind of dual question that um, I wanted to get to, which is coming from the discussions we've had and, and the, the broader discussions in the, the, from the biographies in the book, what challenges should especially Black women mathematicians earlier in their careers, be aware of that they may face? And reciprocally, what should especially white men mathematicians better understand about those challenges and do to redress them? Yeah, well, um, I think that early on, you have to find that, well, first of all, it's not a competition. And in many classrooms, it feels like that. And so if we can get over that hurdle, that's a big deal. But also, you do need people. You know, mathematics is about people. It's about struggling to figure things out. It's about patterns. It's not just about getting an answer. It's about a process. And so early on, uh, we try to teach students, you know, well, what does a mathematician do? Because many students think that math is fast. Like if you're good at math, you must get the answers really fast. And that's not true. So we try to help them to see the work of a mathematician. And so if you are going into, a, you know, a program, a, a, PA, a master's or a PhD program, you probably know by now that that's not true. Math is slow sometimes. You have to think about it. You get things incorrect. And then you go back. So you have to persevere. So that's a word that we use a lot in mathematics, persevere, perseverance. And so as long as you know that those things are true, you find people to work through things with, you, you need to collaborate. You need to look back at what has been done before. I remember um, I tell this story sometimes, um, Dr. Chelsea Walton. <laughs> she was doing a lecture. She was putting together her lecture notes and she wanted some historical references to whatever math she was doing. And so she did a couple of searches and she found Dr. Floyd Williams, I think his name is, uh, who happens to be a black male who had written a paper on that. And so this is something that a white male might be interested to know is, sure, you can find any historical notes and use them. But by using that black male, you are helping students to see contributions from diverse mathematicians. So I, I had a colleague say, well, you know, it's okay, you know, we just use whoever does good math. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of times, if you do that and you're not intentional, you might miss the opportunity to help students, whether they're a student of color or not, just to help all students see that there are diverse people who have made contributions to math. So sometimes we have to be intentional in looking for diverse mathematicians rather than just letting it happen by happenstance. You know, actually look for diverse mathematicians. Look for, you know, historical references to where did this math come from? Right. And, 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 and even if we use a different version, 
or or a different proof, we could still bring up an earlier proof. Maybe it's not as complex, um, but we can still bring it up just so that we are showing that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of other people who 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 had some thoughts about this math and we might have used their thoughts and we might have, you know, found, I don't know if you want to call them better, but, you know, more advanced ways of looking at things. It doesn't mean that we can't bring up that other person. We can't highlight that other mathematician that, you know, may have been an earlier person that made contributions. I, I just think that it helps for everyone to see. It's not just about, you know, black girls seeing black women mathematicians. It's about all kids seeing that black women do math. Because like I said before, and this wasn't that long ago, when we asked middle school students to name mathematicians, they do not name mathematicians of color. And and there are mathematicians of color. And so we can be intentional in helping students to to, to find those mathematicians of color. There's something called the Mathematician Project. And um, it's on a it's on a blog. <laughs> Gosh, I can't think of I think it's Annie Perkins. And we can definitely link to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she talks about the mathematician project and how this one young man, I think it was a middle or high schooler, said to her one day, she was writing on the board, and she's and he says Miss, why do we always talk about these white dudes? He literally said that. And the teacher said, well, would it make a difference if I talked about a Mexican mathematician? And he says, do you think there are any? And she knew right then and there that she had a problem. She says, wow. So she uh, created what she calls the Mathematician Project. And I'm sure, you know, other teachers have done this before before her, but she's really done a good job at making sure that other educators are seeing the usefulness of doing this. And what she found was that she had students choose a mathematician to research, and she found that students mostly chose mathematicians that looked like them. It was really interesting to her. And they learned about the mathematicians, and they they made a slide of, uh, to show in a presentation, but then they had to make their own slide to show how they themselves as students are already mathematicians, right, or future mathematicians. And so you, you have to help students to see themselves in the mathematics because, you know, there's so many students that are turned away from mathematics because they think it's this stagnant thing that you just – you do something on a piece of paper and you get an answer, but it could be so much more. And so we have to help students to see how, you know, math and music are connected, how math and art is connected, um, how gaming is connected to mathematics. There's so much that is connected to math. And if we can help students to see those connections, then they might just take off. And and, and we don't want students to, to think that, Every single thing has to have an application, right, directly. You know, when they say, when am I ever going to use this? Because that's not always true. Sometimes it's the thinking of the mathematics that leads to something later on that we don't even know about yet. And so at, we want them to see the usefulness of math and we want them to see the math connections, but we don't want them to think that that, that, that is all there is to math. So we have to be careful there. Very well said. Thank you. Before I wind down, are there any questions maybe you wish I'd asked that I haven't or anything about the book you'd like to bring up? Um, I don't think so. I think you did. <laughs> you did a really good job. Um, no, I, I, I think that we talked about what I wanted to talk about, why we need the book and um, the fact that we have so many mathematicians that are featured highlight it, but there are so many more, and we just can keep learning. Then let me begin to wind down by asking if there's another piece of scholarship or media that you think makes a good companion to this book. Well, I think that um, 
what I like to try to do is to have teachers look at different websites because I've talked a lot about, you know, mathematically gifted in black and mathematicians of the African diaspora. But we also have Lath we also have Lathisms, which is a website that highlights Latinx and Hispanic mathematicians. We also have a website that uh, um, is called We Are Indigenous Mathematicians. And so I don't need to go through all of the different groups, but just to say that there is mathematics out there, uh, there's diversity out there. If we can bring that into the classroom and help students to see diverse ma mathematicians, I think that's a good thing that we can do. Uh, there's also um, a website and a resource that for parents called um, Black Girl Math Jick. So instead of magic, math jick. And, and, it, and it's a subscription box where every month you get a different box and it has fun math stuff in it. You learn about a mathematician. A mathematician is always featured. It happens to be a black girl or a woman. And But you find all these fun things out. Uh, one box was um, about um, Gloria Gilmer. And in the box, there was this hair, this stuff for hair, some kind of hair cream. And then there was um, a recipe to make your own hair stuff. <laughs> I don't know what you call wow. it, but yeah, it was really fun. And it was just about recipes and how to use fractions and things like that. And so we have to just help students to see that math can be fun. Um, I'm sure I could probably think of others, but those are just some uh, resources that teachers could use. Um, can I mention a new book that I have coming out? Please do. I was just going to ask what you're currently working on or maybe have just finished working on. Well, we just finished an elementary um, book in a series called Engaging in Culturally Relevant Mathematics Task. And people say, well, what is that? And really, it's just about getting to know your students and digging deeper and helping students to feel empowered in math. And so when you think about, well, how can I feel empowered in math? It's when you can use math in your real life, right? Part of it is uh, what we might even call social justice math, right? Helping students to um, develop agency, you know, so that they can persevere. Uh, maybe some students will go into STEM fields, but we don't say that all students need to go into STEM fields. We wish for some students more diversity in STEM fields, uh, but whatever you want to do, we want you to feel empowered through culturally relevant math tasks. So that's the elementary version is out already and the secondary one will be out in the fall. And my, oh, my, my co-authors are Drs. Lou Matthews and Yolanda Parker. And are these different editions for different um, grade ranges? Yes, yes, they are. The first uh, grade range is grades K through five or six. And then the second one is grades six through 12. And so what we do in the different versions of the book is we provide uh, vignettes and examples um, of math activities and math lessons that teachers at that grade level might use. And we connect it to like the Texas um, Essential Standards, the TEKS. Uh, we connect it to the Massachusetts standards, the Common Core standards. And so we make sure that you see the math is there, but what else do you need to be culturally relevant? We use the social justice standards. Um, so, yeah. Very cool. I look forward to seeing it. And I hope you will consider coming back on to the New Books Network to discuss it now that it's out. Absolutely. Maybe in the fall once the secondary book comes out. I thank Fair you for enough. the invitation. <laughs> I've been talking with Dr. Shelley Jones, author of Women Who Count, published by AMS in 2019. Dr. Jones, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much.